Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 108. You got Chris and Brian. This time around, we're going to talk about pasting targets and icy <laughs> rain um, and other yeah. shenanigans that occur when the weather sucks and we're still out training. Yes, indeed. Um, local forecast for uh, Central Ohio on Monday night of this past week uh, was 27 degrees, freezing rain turning into sleet. Never quite made it to snow, uh, bounced around right around that, that 28, 30 degree mark. Um, <laughs> everything had a sheet of ice on it. Uh, I think that's one of the very few times in my life I've walked across gravel and it had iced up enough that normally soft, crunchy gravel was slippery. Um, interesting night from a safety perspective. Uh, guys, we, the, 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 we ran some drills that involved movement multiple targets, multiple distances, uh, in low light environment, uh, long guns, handguns, uh, running mostly weapon mounted lights. I don't think anybody ran handhelds. Yeah. Correct? Everything was weapon. Yeah, everything was weapon mounted lights. Um, but in, in a 15 to 25 mile an hour wind blowing sideways, blowing, freezing crap onto everything. Um, I'm going to put a shameless plug in the, into Audi gear here um, and Arcteryx and some other companies. Um, good rain gear. Uh, when, it is, when it is really cold out, like really cold, like 15, 20 degrees, it's easy to layer up and layer down and remain somewhat dry. When it's 60 or 70 degrees, who cares? Um, you know, you can throw on a shell or something like that or, or wring out a fleece jacket occasionally and keep going. 30 degrees, that, that like 30 to 40 degrees and rainy um, and dipping down, dipping back and forth is sucks. It just sucks, period. I can't imagine being an ice climber and climbing through running water on ice. I think I would rather smash my left toe with a sledgehammer repeatedly than do that. Um, and that's kind of what this was like. Uh, it was just, it was ugly. So just yeah, to kind was... of where we, where we started to give you perspective on some of the challenges that we ran into and, and some of the things that we found, saw, and overcame. So, yeah, yeah. it was full on hard shell weather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, as we, as we noted before, if you don't have a, a quality hard shell, um, something you definitely want to invest in. Yes. Um, even from the perspective of, you know, you got to walk home because the car didn't start or something. Yep. Um, that is a critical piece of gear that you should have in your arsenal. Yes, and and I will also throw out the idea that while I have fallen in love with some Gucci crap here here over the last decade or so, um, you know I've gotten a little bit older, I have a little more money, um, you know, to spend on things like that, and have started to really appreciate it. My first piece of Gore-Tex kit was a military issue um, woodland camo Gore-Tex parka, Gore-Tex shell. Um, that was that that guys gave me crap for buying. Oh, your regular field jacket's not good enough huh, to be out on the flight line, huh? Until it got rainy and crappy. It's like, well, Marshall's got good gear. Have him go out and do it. Yeah. Uh, at the time, a good Gore-Tex parka, the military issue one, was 125 bucks at the PX. Um, it, it was it was worth every penny spent on it, and it still works well to this day. Um, so yeah, just getting into that. But having said all that. Uh, a waterproof poncho, and I mean a legit poncho, a surplus poncho, not a not a little plastic one that's going to rip up, tear up, um, is a phenomenal piece of kit to have. There's there's no more misery than being wet and cold, um, other than that caused by redheads. So cool. Yeah. 
All right. With that, with that, uh, I'll let you describe the first okay. drill because I stumble over describing yeah, it. Yeah. So the first <clears throat> drill um, we stole from either X-ray Alpha or from Ben Stoger. And I think if X-ray Alpha didn't create it, they stole it from Ben Stoger. But it, it's a horizontal movement drill. Um, think of it as a a version of the shuttle run you probably hated in gym class in yeah. junior high. Yeah. And do that um, with targets. Uh, so we had cones set up at 0, um, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, and 18 yards. That's six cones. Six cones. Uh, we then had three targets set up downrange. Um, the one for the, the zero cone and the three cone was at about 25 yards. Yeah. The target for the the two middle cones was at about seven seven to ten ish yards ish. somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. And then the cone for the last two or the target for the last two cones was down somewhere about 15, 15 yards thereabout. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. All rel- of, all relatively close. Yeah. All relatively close. All relatively. Um, call them. Yeah. Definitely handgun distances. Yep. Um, or you know up close long gun distances. Um, and the idea was you took a snapshot from the zero cone on the far target. Um, you moved over to the three cone. You engaged that same target. You went back to the zero cone, re-engaged the, <clears throat> the far target, um, went to the cone at six, engaged the, the up-close target, because um, that was for one out uh, one of the middle cones, Yep. Um, and so forth. Um, always going back to that first cone. Um a good run seemed to be under 45 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and we had cut out the upper A zone on all of the targets. Um, so you had about a six, in, six by six inch box um, with long guns. You know, things like height over bore and mechanical offset became important. Yep. Especially on the two up close or two closer targets. Um, yeah, did, did a lot of things um, at the same time. You got to move. You got to figure out, you know, how much, how fast do I need to move, based on distance, um, how to decelerate into a shooting position, um, managing lights, uh, getting back into a shooting position very rapidly. Uh, we'll kind of break some of those things down, maybe one by one. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to start off with the idea of, of the snapshot. Um, you know, the reality check is. Everything about the snapshot comes comes from probably three different things. Um, you know, we think of the snapshot as, oh, we just get the gun up quick. It's an up drill. But when you're on that first shot, sure, when you're standing dead still, it's a simple up drill. Um, but the movement in this drill, there were different types of movement. When you were going from the number one cone to the number two cone, it's three yards. It's a couple big side steps. So uh, imagine a short stop fading towards second base to cover a hot grounder. He's not going to turn on his heel, break, and run three steps, and then set back up. He's going to sidestep, hop a few steps, get in front of the ball, and field the ball and send it. Um, that was th- that was the movement from what from the first cone to the second cone, and then maybe even to some extent, <laughs> maybe not the first cone to the third cone though. Moving back and forth, you actually had to turn and take a step or two. But did you want the gun to come clear up into? Um, you know, the, the full Sabrina to run with or a high port to mm-hmm. run with, or did you want to kind of, you know, just get the gun to a level where you can move and get back in position? Um, the, it, it, there were different types of movement between the cone. We were running full on across the range from one to six or one to five or back to one. Um, you were running. You were grabbing the gun and going. I don't think it was enough distance to do the Pat Mac switch hands kind of no. thing, right? But, it, but, it, but you were moving, and you definitely went to a high port so you could run. 
Um, you know, so, so just the break, just the differential movement between the two positions was enough in this drill to say, okay, that's an interesting footwork drill. I like that. Then you get into the idea of what does it look like when you shuffle a couple side steps, you can run with the, you can move the gun, you can leave it up and pretty much on target and re-engage that target from two position really quickly from three position, a little less, but still a little more easily. And then going five to six, you were trying to get body position somewhat downrange, gun up and in the right direction as you decelerated. So as you came to a stop, you were popping the light and hopefully popping the shot pretty quickly. Um, and in accounting for height over bore, side offset, et cetera, depending on the distance of the target. Um, a, a number of these things, you know, came into play how much you needed to do of what. Uh, the Magpul guys used to talk a lot about the balance of speed and accuracy. Um, and, the, and the speed being how, fa or, you know, how fast can you get that shot off, um, but is it accurate enough to make it work? This was how fast can you move, but where do you have to hit the brakes? And from one position to the next, it changed quite a bit. Really cool movement drill, I thought. Yeah, um, definitely you know, kind of out of the competition guys' repertoire, Yeah, um, which is where that, that Ben Stoger heritage comes from. Yes. Um, yeah, I, you know, having gotten to watch everybody do this um, one of our guys you know the first run did you know perfect you know, like 90 degree pivot like move his steps stop re-pivot like yeah. press out um and he was slow yeah well it's a lot um, it was a lot of time at each position yeah. rather than getting to that position quickly getting the shot off and getting to the next position quickly which is i think the competition to things everybody says um, at a very high level with USPSA and even IDPA to some extent, at a very high level, the shooters all shoot the same. They're all just as fast. They all have the same splits. They all have the same transition time start to target. It's literally the foot movement that wins stages, whether it's by hundreds or thousands. Um, and, and boy, if this drill didn't show you that, I don't know what would. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and then working with, with this particular individual to, to say, hey, you know, as you come into where you're going to be, you know, start your pivot. Yep. Uh, so that you're essentially trail breaking into the position. Yep. Borrow a motorsports term there. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're essentially we're trail breaking into that shooting position so that as our outside foot comes down, the gun's up, you know, the sights are on target, the light's turned on, and as soon as the gun kind of levels out enough... Yeah, we're breaking that shot. And I'm going to describe trail breaking in layman's terms, and you tell me if I'm right or not. Come into a corner hard enough on the front brake, the ass end gets light and starts to go into the corner harder, and hopefully you come out of the brake and onto the gas at the right time, out of the corner lined up to some extent. Yeah, so kind of like that, uh, well, like in, in vehicle terms, when we're trail braking into the corner, we're using a weight shift onto the front the front wheels, okay. the front wheel, okay, um, to load those tires a little bit more and give us extra traction, okay, um, up front, uh, but not so much that we've locked things up and we're sliding. True, okay, we can exactly. still steer the vehicle, um, but we're able to brake and initiate our turn at the same time. Gotcha, and give yourself a little more push into the tires, into the pavement to yep. hold on. So, and that's essentially, I know that's kind of a maybe a drawn out description of what you're talking about or what we're talking about, but when you're coming into that position, it's it's getting your weight in your body turned as you're coming to a stop so that you can dig in, set up, and make the shot right now rather than coming into the corner on the brakes, 
waiting, turning the wheel, and then hitting the gas. You're kind of compressing all those things into one. Um, and, and, it, and it matters, and I, 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 would, I would have to assume it matters in a gunfight, um, to be faster to the gun than the bad guy uh, seems logical, right? So, yeah. you know, that, and that's kind of what you're doing. Um, and we did try and break that down. And I think everybody, you know, after, after kind of breaking down the first run yeah. and saying, hey, the, the, it was really cool to watch you run and jump into a position and then turn and shoot. But why don't you try turning downrange as you jump yeah. into position? And when you land, having the gun up and the sights somewhat lined up and be ready to go. And I know that we're kind of breaking this down to the nth degree, but some of these details, these movement things are things that actually matter. And they're things to think about when you start talking about being efficient. Um, the race guys want to be efficient. Well, I want to be as efficient as I can humanly be. And hopefully I'm more efficient than the bad guy. And in this case, that's what it was about for sure. Um, it, you know, so, so definitely. Yeah. You know, in this case, we were just using little like cones yeah. kind of you know gym class maneuverability cones um as opposed to big you know stocked barrels or anything yeah but really the idea is you know as we're coming into a position of cover yeah or some position where we need to stop you know as we get there we're immediately ready to do work yeah, yeah absolutely so and and again the movement was also you know moving hard so um some some other things that that popped up with this because this is a movement drill the shooting into this at these distances with the guns were running I won't say it should be automatic, but it shouldn't be crazy difficult. I won't say it's without challenge, yeah. especially the more fit you are. This is enough wind sprints um, back and forth that that if you're you know if you're if you weren't in decent shape, you were sucking wind. <laughs> That's me. Um, but anyway, it, it was it was pretty cool in that regard. But the the target size was generous enough with a rifle that honestly, if you shot center on a six inch hole in a target in a negative target, and you have two point six inches of offset height over bore to your offset, you really should be in the hole. Um, but if you're trying to go fast, you know, and I, I will say that the misses were in general, especially with the long guns, the misses were, they were cutting the edge of the hole. Um, they were all combat effective hits. With the handgun, by and large, we were there, except occasionally when someone maybe tried to outrun their headlights. Um, or when you found out from the conditions that the handgun you'd been carrying in your open top war belt holster had about an eighth of an inch of ice that it set up on the shooter side of your optic of your RMR yeah. and you and you ran up to the first position you know or you, you ran to the first position fired your rounds had to you know transition because you got a click instead of a bang or you know the gun was empty um, you know then you're drawing this secondary and and like wow there's a lot of ice on my optic and at that point you point shoot and fudge one two or three inches high um, when we talked about the weather, there were some lessons learned, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to get into that, or do we want to, is there anything um, more about the drill specifically outside of weather? Yeah, I mean, like, looking again at the movement, uh, you know, our guy that went from the, like, stop, pivot, present, uh, to trying to be much more efficient, I would say shaved second. a second Seconds. and a half to maybe two seconds per yeah. shooting position yeah. um, from his time. With the yeah. weather, we didn't really run timers, but we did do um, one video run for this. For the gram. <laughs> for the gram. Um, and, you know, on the good run, it was, you know, it's, it's noticeable. Yep. Um, when it's noticeable yes. to the people standing around, you know, it would definitely be noticeable on the timer. Um, this is an excellent drill to do, you know, in the backyard with an airsoft gun. Um, yep. If your neighbors will let you, 
<laughs> if you um, in your basement, you know, against reduced targets. Um, but this kind of movement um, really does, I think, make a difference in the real world. Um, yeah. The guys, you know, that we kind of, I want to say we stole it from or extended it from, um, the X-Ray Alpha guys, you know, trained some of the, the highest speed guys in the country. Uh, so and if are it's, if it's in, some of the highest speed guys in the country. If it's important to them, it should probably be important to you to some degree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I thought, you know, this drill was, was a lot, it was a lot of fun to run, especially a number of different times. It was a lot yeah. of fun to run. Um, because and once it, you got past the idea that, yeah, I'm going to be sucking air, settle the hell down. Um, for sure. So yeah, good trigger management, you know, on the, especially the guys shooting handguns. Yeah. Um, you've got what, six, six, uh, 25 yard shots with a handgun. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, trigger management becomes important. Trigger management when you're moving hard uh, becomes important. Yeah, and, and I will say I was I was I was impressed how many times we walked down range to pace targets up, and that 25 yard target was clean, or had a dropped shot or two, yeah. something like that. And again, those dropped shots were not often never never land. They were they were right around that six inch hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my understanding is. Um, what a, what's a, the guy, Prankus? Yeah, Matt Prankus. Yeah, it was basically, you know, a couple of our guys have trained with them, a couple of guys we know have trained with them, and basically it would say, you know, that's that's a that's a close miss or, a, you know, that close C miss or or an acceptable miss or a combat effective miss. Um, the, the, the What we're calling misses would have been a really, really bad day for the bad guy. Most of them were spinal column lined out. They were vertically integrated with the hit zone if they weren't, you know, the, the, there weren't a lot of lateral misses. Everything was pretty much yeah. vertically integrated, so it would have been a really bad day because it would have been further upper thoracic or slightly lower thoracic off that off that A zone, that small mm-hmm. A zone. Um, so really good hits. Um, push into ice and lessons learned on optics. Yeah, actually, one thing real yeah. quick. Uh, yeah. Because we were shooting paper tar- or cardboard targets <laughs> and when they were iced up, yeah. if anybody listening knows of little pasters or cardboard-colored tape, um, that sticks to icy cardboard. Um, please let us know. We're interested in getting some. Yeah, or or, um, or some <laughs> other option. I don't know what it would have been. Um, pasting targets slows things down, absolutely. But it absolutely keeps you accountable. One of the things we've done a little more um, because of running weapon systems like long guns up close. It steel's prohibitive. You can't do that on steel safely um, in, in most environments with most steel. Um, either safely for you or safely for the steel or both. Yeah. Without running frangible ammo yeah. or having to have everybody run some kind of like pistol caliber carbine and, or rimfire gun or something like and that. And armored up, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, so so a lot of this stuff, guys, is more reasonable distances probably for a civilian in a defensive environment. Um, but yeah, but the, the target, there were challenges keeping the target systems functional. Um, but definitely running paper keeps you accountable um, and I will say that there's a there's there's a difference blazing onto a great big chunk of steel versus trying to push through a small little zone uh, was a very different mentality. Um, but good lord, yeah, somebody could come up, uh, Dave Zimmerman up at Target Barn in, in in Toledo. If you're listening, if you could come up with some kind of super ooey gooey paster that works on ice, um, I'd I'd have your babies um, because it was it, we took more time trying to get freaking pasters to stick or stay on the target afterward yeah you know it's like you oh look you dropped a whole bunch of oh never mind a whole bunch of pasters fell off never mind um so yeah th- there's an interesting challenge that we were later thought a lot about that same challenge also that ice layer on the target was also on your optics um 
this is one of those comments where running optics, rah, rah, irons. Well, your rear sight probably would have been occluded with ice unless you had something over it. Um, so you've probably been SOL pretty quickly. You'd have been flicking it off every time, whatever. And that's cool. Okay. Adapt and overcome. Figure out what's up. Um, some guys running dots still had issues with icing up on the ocular end of the optic because generally the muscle's down. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it depends on how you, how you stand at rest. Uh, or at ease as you're watching someone else run, you know, where are your hands at? You know, some of the guys that have been around long enough know to maybe try and cover up their optic a little bit, um, do some different things like that. See, I was just fine. I was running a Trijicon MRO HD yep. on my Scorpion Micro. I had no problems at all with the optic. Okay. Um, you know, with running the, the REIN Micro, I guess we'll kind of talk about lights here at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the actually the biggest challenge is balancing how much, how dim can I keep the optic? Yes. So if I wanted to take a shot with ambient illumination, um, I can do it without completely washing out the target with the optic. Yeah. And then having the optic on bright enough that the the reticle's still there when I turn the light on, because my goodness, is that light flipping bright? Yeah. And when you and that is and this is probably you know I, I don't I know I still don't think we found in a handheld or weapon-mounted light where where we've got too much light. Again, we've always joked. The scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they open up the Ark of the Covenant and it melts the faces off all the Nazis. I yeah. want three lumens less than that. Yeah. Yeah, I want three lumens less than that. Um, I, 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 if I see skin melt a little bit, start to droop, I'm probably okay with that. But when it falls off the bone, okay, maybe that's a little too much. Um, but you, I, I, that was getting that setting right on the dot was a thing. Um, Mac J and I were both running new Trigicon Credo 1 to 8s on 1X. Um, worked swimmingly. Stellar optic. Um, you know, we've been telling everybody for years you can run a 1 to whatever as long as it's a true 1X, just like a dot optic. The reticle was bright enough. Um, I think I was running on probably on 3, even with the OWL. I was running yeah. an OWL, not an REIN. Um, and, and which is a boatload of light. Um, but, but getting some ice on the optic was part of the game. Also getting ice on my glasses, my shooting glasses had ice on them. And it got to a point where if you've ever looked at that, like that, like snot patch on your, that gloves come with sometimes, um, mm -hmm. that's not a snot patch. It's to wipe your freaking glasses off, blow your damn nose somewhere else, not on your hands. Um, yeah. COVID wanker. Um, but anyway, um, it's, it is actually to wipe your glasses off. That's what that patch is there for. And I found myself using it quite a bit. Um, but I will say that with the optic, you know, with the, you, the ocular lens is up, it's catching yeah. whatever the ambient weather is, it's catching some of that. And it still wasn't an issue with that optic. I think probably because you're looking through such a big tube, it was no big deal, yeah. but it was something to be aware of. The glasses icing up were probably more of a conversation than anything else. Um, but even that, you know, totally doable. Just, yeah. Look through it and drive on. Exactly. And it, but it was a nice confirmation because it's not very often that you get to go out in, you know, that 20 mile an hour, 25 mile an hour sideways ice that just sticks. A lot of times snow bounces off or, or it blows around you. The, you know, the, the fluid dynamics of wind moving around your melon mm -hmm. with snow is generally not that it plants into your glasses and stays there. Um, unless you're moving at velocity, like skiing or something like that. Um, so it was, it was cool to get the confirmation that, hey, all these things still work in this kind of weather. Um, and yeah, maybe we knew that, maybe we didn't. Um, but I just think it was a good gear confirmation. Hey, everything works. Uh, but having said that, you know, you're catching ice everywhere. Some shit got slippery. It was, yeah. it was, it was a good confirmation. It was a good confirmation of all that. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know what I would add to that. Um, 
running that optic was like running a dot. You've been saying that for a long time, and I've had some other one to eights that I would agree on low power work fairly well, but there's something about that great big 34 millimeter tube, that 28 millimeter objective, the shape and size of the ring gives you a good dot. Um, yeah, for those of you who are trying to picture what the uh, the Credo reticle looks like, um, at one X, it's an EOTech reticle. It's yeah, it's an well, it's an EOTech reticle, but much smaller in diameter. The the ring is only it's it's like twenty MOA or something like that. It's not no, nah, it's not sixty five. Okay. Now nah, the ring is the ring is like maybe. Well, how about this? At twenty five yards, the ring's a little bit bigger than six inches, just a skosh. Um, okay. So when you translate that out to a hundred yards, it's probably it's probably twenty four MOA or twenty MOA something like that ish. Um, and, and so the, also in that optic, the dot in the new Credo versus the old AccuPower, the center dot, that, that plus cluster of pixels is quite a bit smaller. Um, if you got it cranked up, easy to see. If you had it turned down, you know where the center of the circle is. And it really wasn't a big deal to kind of put the circle high on the empty square and press the shot. It took me a little bit of work to figure out how to work that reticle around the plate carrier that I was wearing because it was a combination of things. Plus, I was also wearing a pair of contacts I'd never worn before that's a bifocal contact. Um, it still took me, on the third run, everything kind of came together. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, really good opportunity to put a lot of stuff together. And, you know, the guys talk about the challenges of trying to use a, an LPVO up close. They're either not running the right optic they either don't have the rest of their skills squared away or there's something wrong. Yeah. One, one thing, you know, that is a little bit more critical with the LPVO than say a red dot, you have to have the length of pull and the stock set up, right? Yeah. Um, so if you're trying to run, you know, if you, if you get the, the optic set up, you know, for when you're proned out the stock all the way extended, uh, and then try to, you know, do your combat skills with the stock collapsed. Yeah. You're probably going to have problems. Um, but Honestly, you're probably going to have problems one way or the other. general because the yeah. gun's not set up yeah. right. Um, True. If you're running an LPVO, you know, get it set up to where, you know, whatever two positions on the, out of six on the, the stock you're going to use. Be consistent. Are going to be at and then yeah. get it set up for that and drive on and just be, just realize those are pretty much the two yeah. positions you need to use that gun at and and at 1x i don't i still don't think it's i still don't think it's critical at 1x to some extent at the distances we were shooting um i think my big issue was getting was on the plate carrier um trying to make sure that i was you know getting the stock where i needed to get to see through a longer tube than i was used to yeah. that's all um but yeah so that you know i will say that 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 optic I, I every time i picked up years and shot it in the last two years i've said god i want one of these freaking things and it just turns out last year was the time to say screw it i'm buying one so um, yeah, like I said, really enjoyed that drill, really enjoyed the different distances, the different concerns about sight offset. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a tight enough target zone. You had to, you could slap the shot on those, in my opinion, with a rifle. Yep. Um, you could slap the shot. You get there and slap the shot as long as you set up and, and we're in good position. Um, but the movement to me and the getting into the position was, I thought was key, was the, was the teachable points on that. So, yeah. And uh, it took what 12 rounds per run to do it yeah yeah not a, not a super high round count um we did run that probably what four or five times yeah yeah and those that was a for my fat body that that was that was enough sprinting across icy gravel um yeah so absolutely uh guys this this uh drill too from a safety perspective be aware that you know a square square range you know you've got certain sets of rules that apply make sure muscles are in safe directions because you are moving laterally across the range so, you know, your muscles got to be pointed in a safe direction as you're moving. 
Um, on some ranges, that may be downrange. On some ranges, that may be you know the full Sabrina or Temple Index. So make sure that you're doing these different things in your environment, that wherever you are, you're doing it safely. That may be slightly different depending on location. So just yeah. make sure you're, you're setting up properly. The other thing is a lot of lateral movement here. Um, anybody who's not on the line while you're shooting should be back off the freaking line. Um, the, the observers, we want to sit up close and, ha and heckle people when they drop shots and shit like that. Um, that, that, that peanut gallery needs to be out of the daggone way. So make sure you're thinking about those things too. If you're trying to find a place and a way to do this safe, even if it's on private property, where's your backstop, where can you point muscles and where's everyone else at? If, especially if you're going to run at low light. If you if you don't have some serious low light experience and you haven't been trained in low light and you don't you've not been around people and done this, um, not the place to start. Phenomenal daylight drill though. Yeah. Phenomenal day like Brian's saying, airsoft in your backyard, um, laser target, uh, laser sight, laser target in your basement, all those different things. This would be great to do those with. Um, pair this with the thirty the thirty lunges. Oh yeah. Would be a good little workout to go yeah. back and forth with too. So just thinking out loud. So don't yeah. hate me for that, whoever I just ex suggested that to this Yeah, I'd say one other thing, you know, every time the gun comes, uh, you're coming off the sights, off the target, um, the safety needs to get switched on yep. on the long gun. Um, on the pistol, if you've got a safety on your pistol, the safety's got to go back on. If you have a decocker. Or if you a decocker, you're decocking every time you go to move. Yep. Um, if it's a Glock or something, you know, you got to get that finger up high yep. on the slide or up in the ejection port. Um you know, those kind of gun handling skills are absolutely critical in a drill like this. Yeah, and quite honestly, if those skills aren't automatic in daylight, you shouldn't be doing this in the dark. So, uh, or yeah. you really shouldn't even be running. Yeah, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Yeah, you should be doing it at all. That's not automatic. That stuff squared away before you get into Agreed. a drill like this. Agreed. Excellent correction. <laughs> um, what else on that part of the drill? I think that that's most of it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, this is. A, you know, combining the the combat, you know, marksmanship, especially for civilian law enforcement, um, you know, that twenty five and in is that's our workspace. Yeah, um, we need to, to own it to master it. Um, yeah, pan guns, long guns doesn't matter. You got to be able to do work inside of those distances. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and like I said, a, a, a you know, we talk about cutting out the top of the target zone, and that you know, like oh, we're limiting the A zone down to half or a third of the normal A zone. Um, guys with a rifle, that's a big target with a handgun. That might be a challenge. You know, we generally tell people, you know, one inch per 10 feet, you start talking about 75 feet, you, you know, now we're talking about a seven and a half inch hit zone, um, you know, on demand. And that's a little bit bigger than what we're shooting at. But I would say again, the misses were within eight inches. They would have been yeah. an IDPA. What down do they zero. call that? Is that a down the, zero? The down yeah. They'd zero. have been ID. They'd have been IDPA circle zone hits. No problem. So if yeah. the circle was in the right place, um, Cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go on the second drill quick? I do. I do. I do. Let's hit that. Uh, so our second drill, um, we we essentially made a triangle with our three targets. Uh, the first one at the, where you started out, maybe 20 yards away from the target. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two targets um, to either side about five yards and then maybe 10, 10-ish yards past yeah. the first target. Uh, basically starting... Uh, on command, you know, run up about 10 yards. About halfway to the, about halfway to the, first, to the target. first target. Yeah. Um, snapshot on that first target. Um, you then ran to where the first target was. That became your point of cover. And the peanut gallery 
yelled left or right. Or sometimes and, both. Or sometimes both. <laughs> or sometimes, sometimes were, neither. <laughs> and then you were to engage um, the remaining two targets in that order. Um, from like, cover. From cover. Yeah. Um, again, kind of a snapshot type thing. Um, you had to to get your gun you know, up and over or around um, that point of cover because uh, you were kind of close. You know, you're using what an 18, 18 inch wide piece of cover uh-huh. uh, with bad angles from the opposing target. So yeah. make it work. Um, yeah. Some good lessons learned there. Um, you know, that in this case, more linear movement, um, deceleration, you know, I need to go fast, but I don't need to go so fast. I can't stop. Yes. Um, yeah. Again, you know, small targets, small hit areas, um, and also in this case, because of the position of the bad guys, maybe running a little closer to cover. Yeah. Um, so there was a conversation around moving the muzzle around cover too and stuff like that. You were close enough to it that if you if you stayed back with the rifle to the extent you could engage both pieces of cover from the or both targets from the same position, you were exposing yourself to both targets. So there was a little bit of that, you know, you know, you're driving that muzzle down and then back out hard, um, you know, one side or the other with a rifle. And same thing with a handgun. Um, going up and over. Or going up and over, whatever works for you. Um and so, yeah, but, and, and again, a little, little quicker drill, um, little slightly different mentality around what you're doing with the gun. Um, but with the footwork, same idea, except doing it linear rather than lateral. Um, and, and again, a, a, <laughs> a little bit easier drill for sure. And not a high round count, but good confirmation. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, using paper targets, pasting up targets, pasting sucked because of the ice, we covered that. But the reality check was keeping everybody accountable for their hits um, and we are slightly closer distances, but I would say people were running this just as hard and still the same, the same hit factor, still people doing a really yeah. good job putting bullets through holes, not misses around them. I would so. say with this one, um, shooters were generally calling their misses, yeah. um, which is uh, really encouraging to see. Um, it means people are actually seeing their sights when they're taking the shot. Um, yep. They're getting that, that picture of where, where the sights are at when the trigger breaks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's easier to call your misses when you're only taking three shots yep. than when you're taking eleven or twelve or whatever the case was, thirteen, whatever it was on the other drill. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely because we had one of the targets was a little further than the other, and you'd hear somebody go, "Ah, I pushed that one high," or "Ah," you know, and and then to get up and go and look at the target and still see it clean and go, "Well, you didn't push it that far high," because it's still a six-inch hole, pretty generous yeah. at, at at those distances. So yeah, um, you know, I, I think there were a lot of lessons learned around both these drills and also around functioning in crappy weather. Um, you know, the whole, if it ain't raining, you ain't training thing really came to light on this night. Um, I, I'm trying to think if there was any, did anybody, was anybody fighting? It seemed like everybody had their light stuff squared away. Um, yeah. it really uh-huh. seemed like everybody kind of had the equipment into things kind of dialed in at this point. Yeah. I think, you know, on the hand, anybody running handguns, it's X 300s all the way. Yeah. Um, with everybody out that particular evening. Yeah. Um, long ends was either, I think, either REINs or um, the Owlite. Yeah. Um, the two, two of us running REINs. Um, in this particular case, we were just running the light. We didn't have any pressure pads with them. Um, with gloves on, it was at times challenging to feel the, the I'm doing momentary, and then it would click into constant. Mm-hmm. And we're coming off the gun, like, oh, it's still constant, so I need to click it off before as I'm moving. Yeah. 
There's a little uh, bit of feel required. There's a little there. bit of feel required. Yeah. Um, part of that was just, you know, it was cold and yeah. we were running, you know, Gore-Tex gloves with insulation and things. Yep. Uh, if we were running thinner gloves, call it, you know, like pig gloves or mechanics gloves or flight gloves or something, I think that'd be a little bit less of a problem. Yeah. Um, Chris, you had no problem at all with the owl switch. Nah, the, I, th- I still think the owl, it's, it's a pig, okay? They should have called it the pig, not the owl. Um, it's, it's ginormous. Um, or a big fat turkey or something. I don't know. Not, not owl. Um, but it, 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 honestly, I just think that light's brilliant. That light's a great combination of usability and light output. It's, it's just big and heavy. Um, yeah. I'm okay with that. On the, the gun I was running, for God's sakes, had a two-pound optic a bipod. A full 16-inch barrel, full rail, and a UBR stock. So it's not a lightweight gun anyway. Um, it's not a Duffy gun, but it's pretty lightweight. <laughs> you know, comparatively, it's a pretty heavy gun. Um, but that that light's just easy to use. Big pressure pad, uh, tactile function. You know, easy on, easy off. Good momentary. Good. So I I still like the Owl a whole yeah. lot. Um, I'm really excited to play with the pressure switch on the RIN on the micro and see how that goes. But we're going to see how that goes. Um, it may be worth it for me to stick with the owl because I'm just I'm clumsy. I want yeah. things to be simple, light light wise. So, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, running good lights. Um, nobody had an owl, Nobody had any issues with not having enough light. No, oh, um, God, especially no. at these distances. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. We you're definitely creating an unfair advantage in yes. your favor. Um, by having strong weather-mounted lights. Yeah, and I will say that, uh, I, you know, this is something that I, w- I want people to think about. Everybody thinks about light in terms of how far they can see. They think about light in, in terms of how much of a room they can fill with light by pressing a button. What I want you to also consider is how disabled can you make the bad guy with your light? How much can you shut down the bad guy? People talk about, oh, he pointed a light at me. I'm just going to shoot at the light. Well, when when the light is, you know, is literally blinding and it looks like a ball that's 30 feet in diameter, um, pretty hard to shoot the ball, especially if you're using light properly, meaning light up, address, and move. Um, the, the light is a, is, a, is a force multiplier for the good guy. Yeah. So be aware of that. Th- think in those terms, too. So, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, on that note, um, we've probably rattled off enough for this time around. Yeah. Uh, Please uh, follow us on social media as long as those commie bastards let us stick around. Yep. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Search for Cap City Outfitters. Um, We try to post new inventory when it comes in there. Uh, If you see something you like and you want to have, uh, please give us a phone call. Uh, We can take a credit card number over the phone and reserve that item for you. Uh, 614-319-3446. Yep. Um, if you're looking to doing a transfer, please check the website. There's a page of, of uh, you know, how the transfer process works. Uh, it's really pretty simple. We're happy to do transfers. Uh, yeah. Happy to make that work for you. Uh, Inventory is still tough to get on our end. So by all means, get online, check our page, see how those things work. Uh, get the gun on the way to us. Uh, a courtesy notice would be great. Just via, in case. The, yeah, notice via email, Via please. email, info at capcityoffers.com. Um, but that courtesy notice would be great. Uh, the most of the shippers are really good about including the buyer's contact info. Uh, but just in case, um, and if the guns, you know, and then give us a couple days once it's here to get it logged in and everything. Uh, we'll say this: if a gun shows up here, you've got a delivery notice from UPS or FedEx. Um, you know, g- give it a couple days. But if you haven't heard from us on that third day, g- give us a call um, just to make sure something hasn't fallen through the cracks or or something like that. Or 
uh, that your voicemail box isn't completely full because you're a millennial and you don't use the phone. You only text. So, sorry, millennials. Still love you. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, yeah, also on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, you can find a link to our portal on silencershop.com along with instructions on how to purchase a suppressor and what that process looks like. That process is running right now on average around six months, so the times have come down dramatically in the last six months or so. Um, you know, if there was ever a time to get ahead of Uncle Joe swinging the band hammer, um, you know, I don't think suppressors are going anywhere, but, but by all means, get on there and let's get some stuff moving. Um, great time to buy. Inventory seems to be strong. So, Yeah. Uh, we do an email newsletter once a week. You can sign up for that at capcityoffers.com or send us an email to info at capcityoffers.com and we will happily add you to the newsletter list. Uh, and please come visit us in the store. We are in Hilliard, Ohio. 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, we're in front of Aldi's. We're directly next to Lee's Fusion Grill. Uh, our hours are Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. Uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, guys.